calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Safe drivers save up to 20% with insurance. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this spoiler review for Andor episode 11 here from the Geek Buddies and Laura Kelly. (gasps) We're back again another week, and this time the full team is here. Laura Kelly is back to join us as we break down episode 11 of Andor and, of course, getting ready for that finale next week. Over turkey legs and stuffing, what madness is going to ensue? We shall find out. But certainly, episode 11, Daughter of Ferrix, letting us know that this is essentially like a wave in the ocean. This is the rear back before the wave comes crashing down and we find out who lives and who dies and what happens with all these characters we've gotten to know so well over the last 11 episodes so far and 12 by the end of that finale. Let's introduce ourselves before we jump too deep into this. And this is a spoiler review. I am the outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on The Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can currently see some of our current work on Netflix right now. Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big Barry City, in the Big City, Season 2. That's right. That's right. Vel is also on that. She's showing up in all the storylines. She's showing up on Barry in the Big City as well. 
Uh, look, I, I have spent many times introducing Laura Kelly. Laura, you're officially a member of the Geek Buddy, so introduce yourself. Go ahead. Go ahead. I get to introduce. Fine. That's fine. I'll do that. Uh, I'm Laura Kelly. I am at uh, shutup underscore Laura on Twitter, and I talk about Star Wars on the internet, sometimes with these guys, sometimes just with John, and a lot of times on my podcast, Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour. What's your most recent episode about? Force Toast Pod. Ooh, you, guys you know, it's like that episode's like two or three weeks old now. Oh, so okay. we talked a lot about The Path of Deceit, which is one of the new High Republic Phase 1 books, uh, which also has cults in it. Ooh. Star Wars is doing cool stuff with cults right now. Nice. Um, but the, yeah, it was a very long episode because we also are recapping Andor. So we had, I think we had three episodes to do. It was, wow. it was a lot. That sounds like a lot for sure. Well, we are going to be recapping episode 11. So everybody strap in into this one. Big shout out to CarbonHealth.com who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies into 2023. So you got any healthcare, any healthcare questions, concerns, or needs, please head over to CarbonHealth.com and get checked out. Don't be Marva. Don't wait till it's too late. Go get it checked oh. out now or oh. download the app to get a talk in your pocket. 100 plus locations all over the country, 80 plus locations in California alone. Look, they tried to get the doctor to come by more. She wouldn't do it. So I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, we're going to jump into all the storylines, break it down. Um, there's about five of them that happened throughout the episode. So we'll break that all down. But first, I'd love to talk. I'd love to start off with general overall thoughts. So, Michael, please kick it off. What do you think about episode 11? Well, it's funny. I mean, the 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 rhythm of Andor is so interesting. Like, it was a great episode. I thought yeah. there was a lot of great stuff. But they kind of it's the it's the same with Aldani. It was the same with Narkina Fi. Like last week was so epic and huge and emotional. And so you sort of like you were saying, like this week you sort of pulled back a little bit yeah, yeah. because we are gearing up for what I think is going to be one hell of a finale. Like this this show definitely had its moments, particularly like Luthen and his ship, which was just amazing oh but a lot of this was just okay uh marva's death is the inciting incident that is leading yeah. us into this big finale and just moving all the pieces around uh i just cease i, I it never ceases to amaze me i said to my brother after we watched it i looked at him i was like it is hilarious to me that the lesson that a lot of people took from the prequels was uh, maybe a little bit less politics than Star Wars. Let's keep it simple. Good versus evil. That's what the that's what the kids want these days. Let's make it lightsabers and fun. And now here we are with Andor, where we are all like, well, this is the best Star Wars because it is very political. Like it's just it is all in, and I eat it up. I eat up every conversation that anybody has about the nitty gritty of rebellions or the inner workings of the Empire or where my finances were and why I'm in trouble. Like, I just, I love it all. I'm into it. You drink up its milkshake. That's sort of a fair point. Fair point. Laura Kelly, your thoughts on episode 11 here of Andor on the precipice of this finale. What did you think about this episode 11? You know, I'm a little bit, I think in the same boat as Michael, this episode kind of felt like coming off of a high, um, you know, episode 10 was just so action packed. It was so phenomenal and I couldn't help, but be left wanting a little bit in episode 11. I found it just a little bit underwhelming. Okay. Um, but I imagine, you know, you're right. That's on purpose. They're setting us up for what is sure to be an explosive finale next week. Um, and one that all of us Americans can use to avoid our families over Thanksgiving. So we're grateful for that, for Andor's schedule. It's awesome. Um, this episode served up a lot of B2 emo all throughout, and I couldn't oh, be happier. And oh. more equally devastated um, by all of the B2 emo content we got. So I enjoyed that overall. 
I feel like B2 Emo is like the nicer brother of Chopper. Like the, the all the good went to B2 Emo <laughs> and all the evil sarcasm went to oh Chopper. Oh my gosh. That's the that's the Thanksgiving table I want to see is yeah. B2 Emo and Chopper and Chopper just Ooh. being like, pass me that fucking shit, you crybaby. <laughs> and B2 Emo is just like, hmm. <laughs> mashed potatoes. Um, uh, Shannon, thoughts on episode 11. What are, what are your thoughts on episode 11 here, my man? In the realm of twins, B2 Emo is Arnold Schwarzenegger's Julian to <laughs> Chopper's Danny DeVito's Danny Vincent. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I really like this. I mean, I, I, you know, coming off the, the high of episode 10, I still thought this one was firing on all cylinders. And I really mm. thought it, it, you know, you got a sense of how the Empire is viewed, not just by our main characters, especially by the, the Narkinians. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I thought you, we got some really good acting here from Diego Luna and Duncan Powell in uh, Andor and Melshi, and also from Selling Scar. I mean, it's like it's not like Selling Scarsgard hasn't been doing a fantastic job, but when you see when he is confronted with a situation of oh no, I thought I had this under control, maybe I don't, yeah. um, which also kind of mirrors what Mon Mothma is going through oh. with her conversation with Vel of I thought I had this under control. I don't, and now I've been forced into a decision that I don't want to make. Um, I I just super enjoyed everything from uh, from top to bottom. And B two emos, the way the people of Ferrix, or at least the ones that were exposed to, the way they treat droids. Yeah, Grosso's like, if you want a moment, I'll leave you alone. You know, we can leave you alone. Right. It is just runs so counterintuitively to the to the way the rest of the galaxy treats a droid which i thought was uh fascinating and heartbreaking yeah when's the last time a droid convinced you to spend the night uh, there at a place just so they can feel better about it in the morning yeah i mean just incredible stuff for sure um yeah well fun stuff i yeah i liked this episode but as i said it's the it's the chill episode it's the rear back for what we're gonna get next week uh but i like that they laid the groundwork here you know it wasn't without its moments certainly the passing of marva uh certainly the situations you guys mentioned with b2 emo certainly more with luthan and saw that 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 philosophical battle that's happening between those two guys i feel like luthan is never more real than he is when he's with saw like everywhere else he's putting on front putting on faces but it feels like with Saw, there's vulnerability here. Now, he might be playing him, but to me, it feels like he's the one person that he can actually be honest with and pull a gun out or a blaster on, by the way, and, and get away with it. So, I mean, there's there's a lot here that happened throughout, but there's still those moments with Bix, where, where, which were harrowing. There's still Cyril going down the incel uh, uh, tunnel now even faster. Uh, there's still more to explore here for sure. There's also yeah. there's also Cyril's mom's bedhead, which we oh, should yeah. really could be a whole Geek Buddies episode in and of itself. I got I got jokes. I got jokes. <laughs> Do I need to hold on to them? Yes, hold on. Keep them. Keep them. Keep them. Uh, and we got a badass new ship uh, as well, and a Luthan ship, which uh, someone tweeted at me a perfect description for Darth Hall. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, cause it was, it was icy. Ah. Oh, I mean, it's the first thought I had as soon as those things stuck uh, out and were spinning uh, around. I'm like, that's a dark, that's a double lightsaber in the, in space. So yeah. A friend of mine, a friend of mine who is not a big fan of the prequels texted me, but he is a big fan of Andor. He texted me, he said, when Luthen's ship took off, I was alone in my apartment and said out loud, now that's pod racing. And then I punched <laughs> myself in the face. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> that is 
I'll go right. <laughs> uh, but let's start with Andor's storyline. Here we begin on Andor and Melshi literally clinging to freedom and to life on the on this rock face. And I've been watching some recent adventure shows that are on Disney Plus and other channels. And this idea of free climb, it's insane what people do and take their lives at risk. But seeing them do this in this desperate situation, but seeing the camaraderie between him and Melshi, tell me, tell me that they're leaving. Tell me that they're gone. Tell me this, all these kinds of things. And him encouraging uh, and or encouraging Melshi that he can get up there. Uh, you see that they're developing this friendship, which, of course, will bear fruit as we see them again in Rogue One. Uh, they're watching these two creatures, these Narkinian uh, creatures there, uh, and they spot a quad jumper. Melchie takes off and starts the escape after having this back and forth with Cassian as if, you know, like, oh, well, you know, what? we're going to go. We, we can beat them. Uh, and uh, the aliens, of course, are not, so it's no big deal to them. And they uh, launched this net trap on both of them. It w- I-, I know this may be sacrilegious to say, it felt a little bit like Star Trek, a little bit in that moment, but that's just me. But we see the creatures having uh, Narkinian uh, conversations. You hear the main guy talking to his buddy, Freedy, talking about how much these two might fetch, talking about, oh, it's always the Empire, it's always the Empire, but then talking about how the water's been spoiled because of the Empire. They, they, they don't eat the way they used to anymore with the feasts that they used to have because of the empire. Uh, but then they let them go. They take the net off. I guess they realize that they are actually prisoners, um, which is a great escape for Cassian and Melchior. Then says uh, Cassian says, we want to go to Niamos. Uh, and they all take off on the quad jumper. Anders, Ander lands on Niamos, uh, goes into the room where he was before he was imprisoned. I can't remember the name of the, the woman he was with, uh, but uh, someone else is in some other family is there, but he has snuck in there. And before he gets caught, he finds his case with his equipment and um, uh, Nimic's um, manifesto turns on for just a second, just to remind us that it's still there in his possession. Uh, and he sees that he's got his credits and his money and he takes off before that family can wake up. Um, we cut to him radioing, radioing into Zanwan uh, and he's surprised to hear Cassian's voice. Um, and he says he wants to get a message to Marva and uh, tell him, tell her I'm okay and I'm fine, everything's cool. And Zanwan has to be the one to tell him that Marva has passed, and we'll get to that passing fully as we get onto the Ferric stuff. Um, and uh, there's a there's great, great acting here, in my opinion, from Diego Luna. Great facial acting here. They pull away from him to let him stand by the phone as we see Melshi in the distance. Uh, and then we cut to him coming out onto the um, pier there next to Melshi. Melshi wants to know if everything's okay. He says, yeah, everything is fine. But Melshi says they need to split up. They need to tell people what's happening back there. They need to let people know so they can be aware about what's happening. So already getting that rebellious streak within Melshi. Um, he suggests that they split up one of them uh, so that well, at least one of them can make it because they don't know how many people actually made it off that uh, penal colony there on, on Arkina 5. And he says people have to know what is happening here, and they split up there after a, a hug. Which and we ha- get a close up of Cassian's face, and he's clearly very emotional, still processing the death of Marva. So, Mike, thoughts on how we started this uh, uh, this story, how the storyline rather went uh, throughout the entire episode? Um, yeah, I mean, I, li- I really liked how it kind of literally starts with them actually like hanging by a thread. You know, like, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. it's like right. really kind of like doubles down on uh, just how far uh, Cassian has fallen through all of this and how hard it is. Uh, love practical alien effects. It, you know, yeah. it's like there's something about practical alien effects. They never look as real or as seamless as like a CG thing where you can really nail everything. But somehow the fact that it's real just makes it cooler. So having these giant plastic 
whatever, you know, prosthetic aliens walking around. I like that they were just good guys. I, I think that, you know, uh, like like Shannon was saying on Ferrix with uh, Brasso's kind of just being a good guy to be too. Um, we're so used, the Empire has, uh, has trained everyone in a galaxy far, far away and trained us to not trust anybody and that yeah. everyone is out to get you. Um, but I think part of what makes the rebellion, the, the, the rebel alliance work is that there are actually still good people out there. Yeah. So I love that they had this moment where you set up this whole, we've got to, we've got to steal this ship. We got to get away. And then the guys catch them in the net and there's this whole moment and the, the guy's got a fucking sword for a hand and like, it's a whole thing. It's this whole <laughs> setup and you're like, Oh, how are they going to get out of this one? And then it's like, oh, these are just good guys. Where do you want to yeah. go? You want to go to space Miami? I'll take you to space Miami. Um, I did love when he went back to, uh, what is it? Niamos? When he went back to Niamos, yeah, Niamos yeah. and uh, went to his, the hotel room and got the thing. I looked at my brother and I'm like, you're going to tell me that that whole time he was on prison housekeeping, didn't find that bot, that money. And my brother yeah. looks at me, my brother looks at me and he goes, man, it's not the four seasons. <laughs> I was like, fair That's enough. True. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I don't think that thing was that well hidden, but uh, I like that. I like I like that Nemec. I like that they're keeping the whole thing with Nemec's manifesto alive. I was yeah. wondering if that was just going to go away, but I like that we saw it there. I'm going to be interested to see where that goes. Uh, and then just like heartbreaking. I mean, you know, this. I think so much of this episode is about sacrifice. Uh, you know, Luthen last week had that amazing speech about what he sacrificed, and here the whole conversation is: Are they literally going to sacrifice thirty men? Mon Mothma is talking about what she sacrificed. And then you have Andor here who like literally it's so heartbreaking because he's like, oh, tell Marva I'm okay. She, when he said she would be proud of me. Yeah. That's the one that got me. Cause Ooh. that was such a, it wasn't just a, um, Hey, tell her I'm okay. I got money. I'm going to come get her. Like there's sort of the nuts and bolts of, Hey, I got to come find you. Don't worry. But the tell her she would be proud of me. And I think that's really telling because it shows that he understands that what he did on Narkina 5 was big. Like with Aldani, he was hired. He was a mercenary. He was in a tough spot. He wanted to get the money and get out. He did the right thing. He did right by anybody. Like, you know, taking care of Skeen, like he, he did better than I think Vel or anybody realized he did for them. Yeah. Um, but he still just took his money and ran. And Narkina 5, it was self-serving. He wanted to escape there too, but just him saying she would be proud of me means that means a little bit that he's kind of proud of himself. He knows he yeah. did something that was for more than just him. He led and a I rebellion. Think that's the big, yeah, he led he led a rebellion. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really sweet. And then it was interesting to me, like he gave Melshi that blaster. He didn't he didn't give him any of his money. And then they <laughs> split up. I was like <laughs> He's still like, I was like, all right. Like he's, he's like, Hey, look out for yourself, buddy. Take Mike, this blaster. You know how long we've been friends, Mike, you know, Latina don't I'm, surrender his money easily, I'm not, man. I'm just saying we, we, can I will, I will, I will tell everybody, I will tell everybody listening to this podcast. That it is a very true thing that Roka just said. He does not part with his money easily. That is, that is true. I mean, you know, I get it. <laughs> so yeah, look, and again, like, I mean, kind of what Laura was saying, like, I don't think that there was any watershed moment here for Cassian. I don't think that this was a huge episode. A lot of this was just moving him off planet, getting his money, his stuff, getting the manifesto back, probably most importantly, yeah. uh, for in the long term for the story. 
and him getting the information about Marva, which is going to send him straight back to Ferrix in the next episode. So there was a lot of moving pieces around, but I thought, to your point, like I thought he did some really nice work and there were some really subtle, nice moments with his story. Yeah, it feels like Hitchcock, 39 Steps Hitchcock. It's going to, it starts at the theater and it's going to end at the theater. And it feels like it started at Ferrix yeah. and it's going to end on Ferrix. Uh, this season, at least. Laura, your thoughts overall on how they handled the Andor storyline here? Arguably kind of the smaller, one of the smaller storylines in this particular episode. How did you think uh, everything went down with uh, with him in, in this episode? It definitely was one of the smaller uh, smaller storylines, I think. And I think uh, Michael mentioned sacrifice. And one of the things that really stuck out to me in this part of the story in particular was I mean, these these two Narkinians talking about what the Empire has done to exploit their world. And it's that it's so sad, but that's just that's what the Empire does. Like they come in, they exploit the world, they take what they want and they don't care about the consequences that they leave the natives with. And the fact that these two guys are now struggling to like fish. I was like, oh, just that little like moment, this sort of like we see again in, in this show a lot, these sort of more down-to-earth moments. We see the ordinary people on the ground and how this war is affecting them and how the Empire is affecting them. And I like that they continue to bring those little storylines into this show. Um, I actually didn't catch that, like, when they get to Niamos, that he's not just stealing. I thought Cassian was just stealing from these rich people at this really (laughs) nice hotel. I did not even make the connection that he was just taking back his own money. I'm like, damn, these people have a lot of money. They shouldn't just leave that laying around. For thieves but man yeah so i'm thank you for informing me of that. <laughs> um but i mean kind of on the same on the same note of the empire coming in and destroying like we saw that resort town before yeah. cassian escaped and when we see it now it's completely deserted That's and there's point. clearly been a lot that. of yeah there's been a lot of changes in the galaxy you know thanks to what happened in aldani or it's the off season and all the snowbirds have left it's with one of the two honestly but i yeah. think that there's one other one thing about this sort of goodbye scene between cassian and mel and melshi um that stuck out with me and not just the fact that you know he's on a beach and it sort of feels like the ending of rogue one he's looking out at the, mm. the bright light coming oh, in from the sun um and I, you know i think it's it's sort of meant to be the end of the Cassian and or that we've come to know in these mm. first episodes or first 11 episodes. I think we're going to see a very different Cassian probably in episode 12 and then going on uh, into season two, a little bit more of the Cassian that we know f- probably from Rogue One. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think all I have to add on that part. Okay. All right. Shannon, your thoughts on this? Um, you know, have you ever clung for dear life on the, on a rock face? Like what, what did you think about all of this um, uh, with Andor here throughout this uh, episode? Uh, metaphorically every day I'm clinging, to, I'm clinging to a rock face um as one who has done a little bit of climbing not nearly at that height like yeah uh looking at the fact that they that neither one of them you know have shoes on and you see yeah. just how torn up cassian's feet are and with melshi saying like i can't feel my hands i can't feel my hands like the the what we're led to believe is that they have been there for a minute and that they are they are staying there because if they climb up these patrol the patrol ships are going to spot them and just the bond as mike and laura already referenced that is forming between cassian and melshi i mean it it gives the you know it it gives us the history that will then lead us to rogue one despite the fact that they don't do a ton together in that movie you get it just gives that movie more flavor yeah. in that uh uh th- there is a there is a history 
between the characters. Um, I love when they got down to the Narcanians, as Vogel said already. I mean, do they look as realistic as, say, a CG creation? No, but the fact that they do look tactile and that you can touch them, um, that does give an element of that original trilogy vibe. Um, I don't know what those nets were made from. Um, It looked like some sort of organic matter that when it came off them, they were wet. (laughs) So I love, I love industrial, you know, industrious prop making. (laughs) So looking at that, I'm kind of like, okay, that is super gross. It kind of reminds me of Shelob's webs from Return of the King. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with netting sort of organic webbing than anything else but you find you know you find these uh, i mean aside from the fact that these two narkinians are just you know good beings um you find unlikely allies when you have a common enemy yeah that you know you have these these two people that have been affected by the empire's presence you have people that are that were uh forcibly put in this structure that uh that the empire has constructed and so the moment that 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 sort of light bulb comes on. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, you want to go? Let's go. <laughs> I love the rickety nature of that quad jumper. The fact that there were panels oh, yeah. rattling on the side. I'm like, that's such a great detail that maybe not everyone picks up on, but the combination of the engines sort of firing intermittently and these rickety panels. I'm like, you get, you get a sense. I mean, one, it's funny, but you also get a sense of what their lives are like now that the empire has intruded on them. Um, As soon as they go back to space, Miami vice, um, you know, the, (laughs) I, you, you have those two sort of space pelicans duking it out on the deck. Blue ones? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is it is early. I mean, you get the sense that this is probably very, very early in the morning, hence those two aliens asleep in the bed. Um, but that's the, that's the exact thought I had as well. Like, oh, this is sort of a low-rent Vegas resort where the housekeepers are not that concerned with checking everything. Hence, this entire, you know, trunk of goods has uh, remained untouched. And then, you know, we get, we get that great scene of uh, Cassian's ability or rather Diego Luna's ability to play his cards close to the vest, Mm. despite all of the sort of emotional turmoil that is happening. Um, It's, it's really, really great. And, you know, we get, we get a little bit of a forecast that we see in rogue one in that he does not truly explode until in the wake of sort of the uh, uh, abandoned assassination attempt of uh, Galen Erso, that this is a guy who has learned to rely on himself. And it's only when he's really, really pushed that he's going to let you know how he feels. Um, So I thought the whole sequence was, was great. Fair enough. Yeah. We wonder what's on there uh, because it's going to leave that kind of residue on your face and on your hair. It's not a, that's some tough organic material, certainly. I don't know how you, you guys get off in that ship. You, know? you guys can wonder. I know what I know what that is. I I know what I wrote in my notes. I'm not going to repeat it. Right. Oh my God. Let's move on to our next story. Well, actually, let's take a break and we're gonna move on to our next story. But I will say this. I agree, Diego does a fantastic job. But I also think Cassian wants to be alone to process this. So he is more than happy to agree with Melshi going off and doing whatever given the blaster i don't know if he has a weapon himself does he have two different blasters i don't know i think there were two guns in there the were? safe okay. The, okay. yeah 
I couldn't tell if there were. So at least he's protected in that way. But I think he also kind of wants to process this on his own, which mm-hmm. may be an element of the finale next week. We shall see. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll jump into our next door land right after this. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Is this right? What, I can't. I can't get us closer. I don't know why. Oh, there we go. Okay, there it is. Oh, I feel right, so much closer cool. to you now. Oh. <laughs> Aww. Uh, let's move on to Ferrix. A lot of stuff happened on Ferrix here, and let's uh, let's fully address this as we go along. To and in, in your thoughts and comments uh, to all three of you, Marva has officially passed. Um, we get allusions to it in the darkness kind of i think we're getting um i think that might be b2 emo's point of view that we're getting like just hearing yeah. the noises of these women talking about uh her passing and saying that she has uh, gone on uh brasso is consoling b2 emo as the daughters of ferrix are taking care of marva's stuff and preparing her body for the funeral which we find out later how that goes down uh b2 emo wants to go with brasso but he talks him into staying to help the daughters of ferrix cinta is watching working at the cafe right across the street but so is core of an empire spy who asks Cinta about it. She says, I just started here. don't know anything about this person uh, and what have you. So Korv wants updates from his people who are surveilling the situation. Later we go and it's nighttime. Brasso is just walking around inside the place there. And he is talking to be to emo. Uh, Bar- Marva has been, uh, we hear about Marva being placed in the stone. B2 Emo doesn't want to accept that she's gone and convinces Brasso to stay one night uh, with him after Brasso offers to take B2 Emo with him to his place. Uh, And then we cut to Bix, who is having these horrible PTSD flashbacks of what that doctor did to her. Uh, She's in some sort of prison. Uh, An Empire guy walks in and says, come with me, me, uh, Bix. And she is leaning on him, stumbling down the hallway. They take her into another room. She is I wrote here, she is absolutely wrecked, man. Uh, they want to know about Anton Krieger, this person who we've never seen and may never see, but shows up in a holographic image there. Um, sells the, uh, the guy who is uh, running this uh, interrogation says they'll call back Dr. Gorst if she doesn't tell them the truth. They want to know if this is the man that, introduced, that she introduced to Cassian. Is this Axis, in essence? Uh, and um, Bix doesn't respond, kind of gulps, kind of draws in the breath and starts to maybe chant something which i don't know what that is um and then we of course cut to deidre who's getting an update on marva's death from tigo tigo says marva rates a big send-off they want to close rick's road they are building a list of grievances deidre wants the funeral to happen on ferrex says to keep it small with limited numbers she wants to put them in essence in a box while they stand back and watch and wait for cassian to show up um and uh, we hear that the funeral will take two days and that the dead according to tradition are bricked and put into a wall so that they remain as part of the foundation of Ferrix, which I think is incredibly sweet. Uh, so, um, Laura, I go to you. A lot happened on Ferrix here and some tough situations, tough moments, and, of course, your thoughts on how they handled the passing of Marva. Well, I, I think this is an unusual title for this episode, Daughter of Ferrix. I mean, mm. seeing that, I anticipated a lot of Marva in this mm. episode, only to find that she died off screen, 
And we sort of get some mentions of her in the beginning. We get a little bit at the end, not a whole lot in the middle. I, she kind of spiritually hovers over this episode, I suppose, yeah. but it just seemed like an, an unusual title for somebody who ends up dying off screen. Um, but uh, really with all of this B2 emo stuff is really what hooked me in these Marva scenes. I mean, the fact that we do open on his point of view and when he says, I don't want to be alone, I want Marva, it like, didn't occur to me that what we're seeing is basically like B2 is like an equivalent of like a six-year-old mm. who just like does not understand how to process death. I mean, a, pro- a, a droid who knows how to process a lot of things, but he can't grasp onto that. And it is just so devastating and we get a couple of them throughout the episode but they're mechanical whimpers is how they're described in the in the captions and it's just so cute and so sad um the stuff with bix was really interesting because we have not gotten a ton of adria ariona on screen she just hasn't had a ton of screen time especially in this like latter half of the series but when she does she makes really good use of it and she doesn't really speak much in this, you know, in this, in this scene, but you can still see every thought, every emotion, the wheels turning on her face. It's a lot of facial acting for her in this, in this episode, I think. And, you know, asking herself, do I lie to these people and tell them that Krieger is the one they're looking for? Do I assume that whatever Mm -hmm. I tell them they're going to kill me anyway? I mean, at that point you would think that that torture would have probably put her over the edge and it looks like it's close. So it's real sad. Yeah. And I wonder if they haven't been consistently doing it because she looks like she has been through the ringer and it feels yeah. like it's, they've come back yeah. a few times to get information from her, which is really harrowing to see for sure. Um, Shannon, your thoughts on how they handled Marva's passing, but also everything that happens here on Ferris and Deidre setting up the, uh, the funeral here to catch uh, Andor. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with Laura for such a prominent character as Marvel was. The off-screen death, you know, that was a choice. That was a way to go. That was that was a way to do it. Um, the fact that we were seeing everything through the lens of B2, I think, helped that choice. Um, the fact that there was, I mean, I don't know if B2 was charging or if it was just sort of this grief filter that the droid had on but the moment again the way the brasso speaks to b2 like in this very sympathetic tone runs so counterintuitive to a lot of what we have seen the the way the rest of the star wars universe treats droids i mean it's not it's not necessarily that they're mean they're just a thing they're an appliance and the way that brasso connects and you see this sympathetic tone that he has really really um really really great stuff and the work of dave chapman who is the voice of b2 as well as all of the audio mixers um you've really come up with a really compelling character i mean even the way that b2's head sort of you know retracts it's almost like a kid peeking out and to the you know six-year-old comparison that you had made um, I, I think that really is is very effective. Um, over to the uh, Bic stuff. I mean, yeah, that that would be my guess is that the whatever Doctor Gorse did to her the first time, he has done multiple times and has yeah. probably ratcheted it up because who knows? You know, they don't know her willpower. They're trying to get answers and. 
a lot of times interrogation doesn't always uh, produce honesty. So the best way to try to get the most accurate answer is to do things repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And you can see that moment in her face where she's just like, if I say it's Krieger, does this stop? If I say it's Krieger, does it help? I, I might be hurting more than I'm helping right now. You know, she's really in an unwinnable position and going to sort of the culture of Ferrix that that's, that's what they do with their dead is that they're, that they're cremated essentially. And their ashes are mixed in with mortar. I mean, there's something really beautiful about that, yeah. that the, that the foundations of their society are literally, literally and figuratively their ancestors so uh you know it i imagine that what we're going to get in the next episode is going to be pretty big because at this point now that we've seen the luthan uh the space sequence i believe we've seen everything that was in the marketing it seems like we haven't seen anything that's in the finale yeah in the trailer yeah, right. yeah good point uh michael your thoughts on on everything that happened on ferrix and on deidre's plans here to set up this funeral to essentially catch the mouse that is cassian i mean first of all i mean star wars got a problem with droids one day they're gonna have to make it right i don't know like it is like they <laughs> like because shannon's right like droids are things and yeah. so many people treat them like oh it's just a droid but like clearly they're not just a thing like they are second class citizens and b2 really just doubled down on all of it I really love, this is such a small thing, but it really just struck me is that as much as Brazos is kind of treating him like a person, like, do you want to be alone to say goodbye, whatever, somebody just used him as a fucking coffee table and put their coffee on top of him. Fair point. Like, the Fair way point. that, like, he's shaking with everything that's going on and the coffee falls, you're like, some motherfucker came in and was like, well, we got to clean up all the Marvis shit and just put it on his head and, like... As he's like sitting there mourning, and you're like, God damn, like that is some, like it really it is he hit out? me, man. Is he not waking up? Are you sure he's not waking up? <laughs> like it just really hit me. Like they they really did a great job of just it's so sad and it's so sweet. Yeah. Um and I like I, I, I agree with what Shannon and Laura said about the the title of the episode, but I also do love and I'm I'm interested to see how it kind of carries over in the next one that Look, not everybody can be Viserys in House of the Dragon and hold on until they're the Crypt Keeper. Like, we saw Marva getting worse every episode. <laughs> like, like, we saw... <laughs> Shout out to the Chappelle sketch set, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, like, we saw Marva getting worse and worse. And for my money, like, I, I don't need to see her die. And I think that, like Shannon said, seeing B2's response to it was so much and then the fact that her funeral and her death is the thing that is literally bringing the entire cast together for this finale even though we didn't see it uh and she is not even present in this episode her death still sort of is driving everybody towards this thing that is going to send cassian we presume into the rebellion and everything else so she's very present in the episode even though she's not in the episode yeah. I am with you guys on the brick thing. Like they said that and I'm like, that's how I want to go. <laughs> I was just, I was just in Denver last weekend visiting my sister and we were going to see some friends and we drove past a graveyard and it was like, you know, a chain link fence and a bunch of tombstones and whatever. And I was like, I don't know. And then they were like the, I was like, yeah, make me a brick and build your house with me. That's what I want. I'm <laughs> out. 
Build me up. <laughs> Build me up. Um, uh, Bix, oh. man, she she looked rough. She looked like how I felt the day after Halloween. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was intense. I do think I, to your point, I think we are going to see Anton Krieger next week. Mm. I think that as much, I think that as much as a lot of the action is going to take place around Ferrix, they have really built up this decision about yeah. whether or not we sacrifice Krieger, this attack that Krieger is planning, how it's going to go down. Yeah. That I think that that has to be a part of what happens what what saw guerrera decides to do how like is there a is is there a do we do we tip krieger off do we let krieger go in but then come in and like double cross the empire like there's a lot of options for that so i think the fact that they showed him uh on the hollow screen two bix i think i think we are gonna see him in person next week i would guess um the one thing we didn't talk about and i loved it i'm obsessed with cinta Mm, obsessed right. with Cinta. I think she is a cool cucumber. I want to see book. I want to, I want to see her in more shit. I want to see her in the rebellion. I also love that the, that she is the rebel spy and she is literally in the room with the Imperial spy yeah. <laughs> and the Imperial spy has no idea he is in the room with the rebel spy. And the rebel spy is like, bitch, I clocked you last week. <laughs> like I know who you are. <laughs> I know what's going on and he has no clue, uh, which I thought was absolutely great. So yeah, all the stuff on Ferrix really, I just, I just like the people of Ferrix. They've mm-hmm. done such a good job, you know, to Shannon's point about the way that Brazos is treating B2, but like from, from day one, like from the very first few episodes, they established Ferrix as a place that was very blue collar working class part of the star Wars galaxy but where everybody kind of looked out for everybody. Every time we've seen it, um, from Brasso's covering for Cassian to the way they all hit the hit things oh, yeah. and drum things to let right. people know that something's going down, to Bix and Brasso's being there for Marva, like and and in big ways and little ways, they've just shown that the people of Ferrix are really there, looking out for each other. Yeah. So it's going to be, I think very satisfying when we see the people of Ferrix rise up against the empire, which is what I am assuming is going to happen next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got feelings that, that Bix is going to take care of business next week. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I don't know if Deidre is going to be long for the world of Andor. I just, I'm just throwing it out there. How badly do you want to see her grab that headset and put it on Gorst? Just be like, no on, on, I want to see her put it on Deidre. That's who yeah. commanded it to happen, not Gorst. Gorst is just a tool. She's the one that made it happen. So I'd like to see that happen. But yeah, except I, I kind of want I want Deidre to make it into season two because I can take I, I'll take more I'll take more hating Deidre for a long time. Yeah, I think I think Deidre makes it out of season one. Definitely. Okay. I mean, we're jumping multiple years next season, like oh, throughout the season. So I don't know if she's going to remain the big bad through into the second season, but we'll see. We'll see for sure. Let me ask you guys one more question before we move on from Ferrix. Seen some people speculating online about this that they may have faked her death to call to cause the empire to set this whole thing up so that when uh, Andor shows up, she's actually still alive and as a rebel finds a way to fight in this thing with Andor in this match. 
what would be your reaction? I'm not going to say she's popping out of the coffin and shit. That's literally what I, I literally pictured her popping out with two guns. Be like, <laughs> but see, I, I, I saw, Le- I saw Leslie Nielsen from Dracula dead and loving it. What do you guys think about this whole, like, do you, do you, do you even give any credence to this? Or do you think this is no. zero, zero? Okay. I don't, I don't see what the point, like, like in that scene at the beginning, who are they trying to fool? Yeah, uh, yeah, like that's that's a dead Maybe body. The watching that them. they got. Yeah. Well, also, it's just like it's a. None of them even know where Cassian is. It's true. It's so true. to kind of be like, hey guys, here's the here's here's the skinny, Marva, <laughs> pretend you're dead to get Cassian here, so that they like they don't even know really aside from like the people that are in the hotel like Bix. Right. Like they don't really know that the Empire is even looking for Cassian. Half of them just blame Cassian because the Empire is there now. But like the 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 idea that there's a big concerted plan and that this was what they came up with is like that's a bit of a stretch. Laura, any thoughts on this? Uh, I don't know about that. I think yeah. I I think that the, it was all too genuine the, yeah. with the scenes with B two and I I don't know. I I think it's just. I think a lot of the show is what you see is what you get. I yeah. think Tony Gilroy sort of made it that pretty clear in some of the interviews that he's done. And so I, I doubt that there's any kind of conspiracy like that going on. Okay, fair enough. No, the visual enough. of Fiona Shaw busting through a wall with a bunch of brick armor. Come on, man. Fantastic. I'd, I'd watch that show, though, <laughs> honestly. It's the more of a dance party. Story more of a... Um, your thoughts, uh, Laura, do you think in any way, does Deidre make it out of it season one? Yeah, I think okay. she does. I think she's going to survive. Because I, I I actually wonder... We can get into predictions, I guess, later. Maybe I don't want to yeah, get yeah, too yeah. much into it now. But I, I think she's going to survive. Okay. All right. Let's take a break. We'll jump into the next storyline right after this. Let's move on to Luthen. We see Clay working on something here, uh, working on some kind of thing there in the shop as Val hovers around the front. Um, uh, Clay, try, Clay lets her in, tries to speak in code to her. Val's not having none of that nonsense. She's like, where the <laughs> hell is Luthen? Let me know right now. Val tells her, tells Clay that Marva is dead and that she is headed to Ferrix to reunite with Cinta, but also to wait for Cassian. Uh, Clay says that she will tell Luthen. We cut to Luthen, who is going to visit Saw. He is searched by two tubes. Uh, there, uh, Saw now wants uh, in for the Spellhouse Station caper that Anton Grieger was uh, it was pitched him last episode by Luthen. Luthen says no, and he tells him about ISB's plans for Krieger. Saw confronts him about his decision, uh, and he starts to get paranoid. He's like, "Well, you might have someone on my staff. Who is he? What's his name?" And he knows he has someone inside that he's, that, and he and he also knows that someone he has someone in the ISB that he is protecting, which is why he is willing to make this decision. Uh, Luthen tricks two tubes into getting close to him after Saw is like spinning off into his paranoia, pulls a blaster on him, makes Saw listen to him about what is going on here, about how if he was working with ISB, there's no way he would tell him about the situation, he would just let him go die, and all that. So Saw eventually agrees. And then calls, in my opinion, calls Luthen out on his bullshit, uh, talking about how, you know, what if it was me? Would you would you let them kill me? And uh, and Luthen counters saying, hey, the decision I've told you, 
I, I you know, respect you enough to tell you. You can do what you want with that information. I trust you to do the right thing, but the decision is yours. Kind of an interesting turn there. Um, Clay, and then we cut to later. Uh, Luthen is on back on a ship. Clay calls in, uh, and they're talking in code about the piece and about the buyers and how many people are interested. Uh, she tells him that uh, she should not. He should not visit the piece with the other buyers essentially implying don't go to the funeral because a lot of people are going to be there and she is imagining i am oh i imagine she's thinking the empire will be there as well uh they lose contact as luthan is being followed by segra milo imperial patrol uh commander uh commanded by a guy named elk uh the person uh named uh, radios over to luthan elk radios over luthan and there's a great tense ten, tense tension filled back and forth between them as they play this game of cat and mouse with each other. And then Luthen buys enough time to power up the countermeasures on his ship, blows up their tractor beam in one of the best uh, special effects we've had so far in the series. And then Elk sends out his TIE fighters and Luthen piece by piece takes him out, then pulls out the Darth Maul laser beams, the red laser beams and slices up the last two TIE fighters and then hits that hyperspace out of there, leaving Elk, alone in space with egg on his face. Shannon, thoughts on this whole thing with Luthen, uh, Luthen and Saul, Clea and Vel, and then also this encounter with the Empire here uh, at the end of his storyline in this episode. I mean, the Vel-Clea dynamic, which mm-hmm. I, I imagine this is probably the last we've seen of it, but having someone who is done with all of the games versus someone who is a true believer and is like, no, we have rules for a reason. This is why we are doing them. I really hope Clea, you know, with, with, I think Deidre makes it to season two. I think there's a case to be made that Luthen doesn't. Mm. Um, and, and if he doesn't, which I think would be a shame because Stellan Skarsgård is, is fantastic. I really love Clea. Mm-hmm. Like, I would love to see her take a more prominent role in this because she, I imagine, is like, you know, she's like Senta. I mean, she's going to do what it takes you know to get things done um so really fantastic scene there i mean like even as she's kind of fake showing her pieces and and relics is like you're breaking all the rules right now this is not how we do it like i thought that was just a really really great sequence um the moment that saw says i'm in i'm in on this on this raid Mm -hmm. um but i'm not taking any orders you get the smallest glimpse of an oh shit on yeah. Luthen's face of he's already sacrificing these guys so he doesn't lose his imperial contact so knowing now that he might lose saw Guerrera as well saw and his guys yeah. it's like oh my gosh this is terrible and it's interesting that you said that like saw calls Luthen out on his bullshit mm-hmm. because saw calls him out but at the same time at the end saw agrees yeah that he's just like yeah you're right this is for the greater good you just and, well and, well, no, says, that's what yeah. that's what Saw says. He says for the greater good, yeah. and then Luthen says, "Call it what you want." And then he says, "Let's call it war." Yeah, and these think, are the things that have to be. These are the decisions that have to be made. Yeah, I hear. I, I just think he's scoffing him, uh, scoffing it when he says for the greater good. I think he's scoffing at oh, him. Oh boy, for his not decision. me. <laughs> no, yeah, no, well, no, no, no. I, <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think that's I think that's what he means. Oh. Um, but I mean, I love the moment where Luthen basically tries to sell two tubes down the river. <laughs> He's like, "It was tubes. This yeah. this guy, he gives me everything. What the fuck? How did I get involved in this?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, really great scene. And then that, you know, again for a series that has been a Star Wars series that has been relatively light on action. 
the action that they do give us is so it's so good yeah i mean you the way that luthan has this ship that can be presumed as somewhat unassuming right. um inside all of the stuff that he has is top of the line i mean it's imperial plus that he's able to get a cloned id like that with his droid and the fact that luthan is really smart and he's like okay here's the here's my scenario here's what i can do to delay this decision this decision and this decision the fact that his countermeasures are essentially just shrapnel being propelled being yeah. propelled at a dish yeah. and you see it just shred it i mean awesome and the moment that the uh uh tractor beam it's that the 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 signal is cut and he's able to go in and just wipe those tie fighters out i mean it is it it is more star wars apropos for the darth maul uh the darth maul comparison (laughs) i i saw the iron man from the first avengers with that red beam that he have i'm like i'm like (laughs) that's i mean to me that's that's the iron man laser cutter um (laughs) but the whole sequence was just awesome and the again as you said john the the egg on the imperial officer's face that this little hall jumper got away (laughs) when we have i mean one the design of that imperial ship was i think that's that's a new design um i think so yeah really really cool but then again just the expression on that guy's face of how did he do that (laughs) just the whole sequence top to bottom really really great yeah maybe a little um foreshadowing of what the rebellion is going to do to the empire overall by the time this is over uh mike your thoughts on all of this uh I, I judging from your noises you agree with shannon's interpretation of saw's uh <laughs> oh, saying yeah. we'll for the greater good. but yeah please go ahead well, <laughs> oh yeah uh well first of all vel i i like i mean i like vel a lot as a character vel yeah, gets under my skin like girl get Get it the fuck together. This is the goddamn rebellion. Like she is just doing what she wants. Like she's like the quintessential rich kid. Like you, which is great. Like it's great that they've built this character because you have this person who is clearly good at what she does. Like she does a great job in the moment on Aldani. Like she's great in the situation, but there is this level of entitlement that she has that really is just like, so when she goes into Clea and you're like, Clea's like, we are not supposed to do it this way, bitch. And she is like, I don't care. And it's like, it's just, it's great because the two of them, it's like, it is a uh, immovable object meeting an unstoppable force. And the two of them just slamming together. It's just a great, great scene. Um, uh, Look, Luthen going to Saw, it's it's amazing because Shannon's right. Like, Luthen doesn't want to give up Saw Gerrera. He look, I don't think he wants to give up Krieger either, but like this is just the 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 hand he's been dealt and it's a shitty situation. But with Saw, I love that there's a moment where he doesn't want to come clean on everything. Like he doesn't want to give everything away. He's like, "Eh, maybe it's not a good idea. It's too late. It's too late." Like he tries to just get out of it and Saw keeps pushing and pushing to the point where he has to come clean on it. And literally, I was watching the scene, and I'm like, this could, this might as well be last week's Geek Buddies, where John and I were arguing about what Luthen said. Like, Luthen was like, look, what do you want me to do? Like, I agree, it's shitty, but what do you want? And you see how smart Saw is, because Saw does put two and two together. He's like, oh, you have a spy, and you don't want to give him up. And Saw yeah. pulls Saw's the Roka. Saw pulls the Roka and says, this is some fucked up shit. You're an asshole. Would yeah. you give me up? You're going to give yeah. me up? And he's like, well... 
I literally just told you what's going down. So clearly I wouldn't give you up. You have a spy? Um, Do we have a spy in my house? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It literally, it might as well have been just you and me in any of our oh, arguments that we've oh, had yeah, over the past 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so it was it was fascinating to watch. But uh, I also love when he like threw uh, Benthic through two tubes under uh, under the bus of try, <laughs> trying to say he was a spy because I don't know what it is about that design and that character, but from the moment he showed up in Rogue One and he's been in some of the Star Wars comics, I would not fuck with him. No. I don't yeah. fuck with him. Yeah. I gotta be honest with you. When I saw him this time around, I was like, I'd like to have a series with this guy. Like small. He's great. Five, ten minute episodes kind of detailing his background. It'd be great. Yeah. We, you know, Star Wars is obviously well known for all of its characters and all its aliens and all the creature effects and everything. And like every once in a while, they just have one that I couldn't tell you why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't say what it is, but they knock it out of the park. And from the moment he showed the first shot that he was in on Rogue One, I was like, that guy's great. And then you see that he keeps coming back. So clearly, like, he he was. Like, he's, he's yeah. a character that really just something about that design really works. Um, literally loved the conversation between Luthan and Clea. Like, the mm. we're talking about an artifact, but the artifact is Cassian Andor. Like, I just eat that shit up. And then everything Shannon said about the action sequence, 100%. It was just... It was perfect vintage Star Wars. Everything about it. The Empire coming in, the false codes, the tractor beam. And yeah, the fact that the weapon was shrapnel. Like I was talking to somebody earlier about it and they didn't get it. They thought that they were like missiles. And I was like, no, no, no. He caused them to pull, push the tractor beam up to be stronger and then hurled metal into space. And the, the tractor beam <laughs> did the work for him. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Like, it was just a great, great scene. And Shannon's right. For the fact that this isn't the most action-heavy uh, Star Wars show, we don't have tons of space battles and dogfights in space and everything, what they do give us is A-plus material. Yeah. yeah. Laura, thoughts on this? Uh, how Luthen went down? What do you side on this uh, back and forth between him and Saul? And uh, what do you think about how uh, the interactions there with Clay and then uh, the Imperial officer? Well, I think Shannon had the theory that Clea might be like taking over for Luthen at some point if, we're, if we don't bring Luthen back. And I, I kind of like that theory, actually. Yeah. Um, I like the character Clea a lot. And that actress really has not been in much. I think she's got three credits on her IMDb, including this. And I would love to see more of her in this mm -hmm. role because I think it works really well. Um, her conversation in particular with Fel was so interesting to watch and rewatch and rewatch again because the way that they are framing these two actresses in these in these scenes it's like straight out of the crown's playbook yeah. like the, just the, where they're like sort of facing each other head on but it's two different it, it's it's awesome and i mean benjamin karen directed this episode he also i think he directed 10 episodes of the crown too yeah. so that it makes sense but it just immediately reminded me um of that show uh, with Luth and, and Saw, I don't have a ton to add, um, but one thing that struck me with this whole sort of long game of letting the Empire take Krieger out is this really is like the Empire for adults. Like you think of like Star Wars Rebels and like try to imagine like Ahsoka Tano or Hera Syndulla doing that, like leaving a whole squadron behind to just let the empire like it would just would not for one second ever right. happen and this Andor series you know they're they're upfront about it this is a reality of war and there isn't even a full-blown war happening yet that like rebellion hasn't fully organized 
to be the adversary that it eventually becomes yet. So we're not even there. But the fact that the show is just so real about it, it's it's just interesting to see the different takes in the different ways that Star Wars frames it in their different shows. Um, Luthen shooting like the shit out of his ship backwards to destroy the tractor beam, amazing. However, was that a missed opportunity to use buzz droids to bring them back? I kind of, I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, you are, you are a prequel girl through and through, <laughs> my lady. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling out the buzz droids. That could have been real interesting. That's a good, excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> um, do you think he was uh, mocking him or not mocking him when he said for the greater good? I don't think he was mocking him. Okay. I will, but I mean, I, to Roka, to your point, and to He's the whole my spirit animal, it, I feel like I know what he was doing. But all right, go, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> a crazy paranoid person who isolates himself, and everyone is like, "What is he doing?" Oh, it goes nice. You should come visit. Anyway, go uh, ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I do like about it, though, is, and to the point that we've had this debate, and you feel the way you feel about it, and we feel the way, like, yeah. They're not taking it lightly. It's not like Luthen yeah, yeah. said in an episode was like, all right, well, we got to give him up. That's the smart thing. And then they left it go, and that was what happened. Like, Luthen making the decision to choose Lonnie as the ISV spy over Krieger last week, and then this week having to inform Saw about it yeah. and Saw challenging him and him talking about it. And even the fact that they asked Bix if Krieger was uh axis they're clearly building it up so like i said like i don't think that the finale is just ferrix i think right. that this whole krieger going in or not going in and saw guerrera doing what he does about like i think that it's going to be a big thing and it might be a big thing where krieger makes it out and is pissed at luthan luthan does something that sacrifices himself saw guerrera comes in and saves the day saw guerrera comes in and fucks things up but whatever it is this idea of sacrificing 31 men or 31 rebels uh for the greater good is clearly not just a throwaway thing like they're building it into a this is the reality of things and this is and even like with i know we're gonna get to the mon mothma stuff in a minute but yeah. that the rebel, the rebellion, you don't get to be like, hey, I want to go fight the biggest evil superpower in the galaxy. This is going to be easy. Yeah. That you, there are huge sacrifices that have to be made. And like I said earlier, whether that's losing a loved one because they die when you're not around, sacrificing 30 people, marrying your daughter off to a mobster, like take your pick. Yeah. Being in the rebellion sucks. Yeah. Right now it's pretty tough. That's for sure. Um, we'll see what happens. And I, I kind of, I'm kind of in the camp with you all. I, I feel like uh, Stellan Skarsgård is not going to make it out next week. The way they're laying the groundwork of the decisions that he's making, and the they are hard decisions, but they also can rub you the wrong way on the outside. Maybe setting up for him to take the fall. Plus, he's a very in demand actor, and would he be able to come back and do? Another twelve episodes. I mean, Who knows? But so someone's yeah. got to run around naked at Stonehenge in the MCU. Like he's got, he got <laughs> shit to do, man. He's got the monopoly on that, so yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but Clay, and Clay is a great her sliding in, perfect. And we'll see if Vel or Cinta or Bo see if they make it out next week as well. We'll get into predictions in a little bit. But uh, let's take a quick break and we'll jump into our last two storylines here in our last section of the show right after this. Very inspirational. I like that one. All right, Mon Mothma, we hear some chanting going on at Mon Mothma's place. Uh, we're not sure what this is just yet, but 
in my mind, I already started fearing the worst of what this might be. I thought it was Heron having some weird ass uh, meeting with his uh, uh, fellows from the Elk Lodge, but it was not that. Uh, Bell walks in, <laughs> and we see that they are this. What is it? The stone cutters from The Simpsons? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> in, uh, and they discuss that Lita is the one uh, in there chanting, and we see them all wearing these kind of ritual robes. Um, and it feels very religious or cult-like, uh, uh, but it is from Chandrilla. Uh, Mon says that it was Lita who found the elder who was leading them in the chant, and this is all Lita's doing. In fact, it's the only thing she shows up on time for, and that Perrin apparently has no issue with it, so they're both kind of in this camp. Uh, Vel is shocked about this uh, and is not a fan of it because certainly she's probably been through it, and so I imagine has Mon Mothma when she was younger. Um, and uh, Vel wants to know if she's not – if. Um, Mon Mothma is not taking suitors for later. She wants to make sure that's not happening. But then we cut to them later having a conversation, kind of where her and Tacoma were having the conversation. I think her and Dabo Skulden had the conversation in that room as well, talking about how much trouble that she's in. She's talking about the situation and how she was pulling out 100000 a month to give to Luthen as a part of this situation. Uh, and they talk about Tacoma, who Val brings up, which is really interesting, and how Aldani froze everyone's asset. The Aldani caper froze everyone's assets. And you see Val register that with a little bit of guilt on her face, not giving too much away, but certainly affected by what um, uh, Mamathma is saying. So it indirectly affected her for sure. Val wants to know if Luthen knows. And Mamathma says, who knows? I don't know. He knows so much. He knows so little. I, I don't know what he knows. And uh, Mon Mothma, through tears or holding back tears, tells her that she has found a solution. And we see that Vel is asking these questions, at least in my interpretation, Vel is asking these questions because I think she's considering pulling that 400000 out of the money from the Aldani caper to give to Mon Mothma. So this whole situation with Leda uh, and Devil Skulldin doesn't happen. But we shall see. Leda comes out before we go further in the scene. Uh, she hugs Vel, but she makes sure to give her mom the meanest look after she hugs or while she's hugging Vel. So uh, that's the end of that stuff here. I'll go to you, Laura, first on this one. What are your thoughts as you're watching Mon Mothma navigate this scene and navigate what's happening here with Lida and then also uh, having the conversation with Vel? It's so fascinating watching Genevieve O'Reilly in this show because she's like trying, she's working so hard, I feel like, to like, keep her face neutral but like mm. she's teary-eyed and she's like just the way that she's playing this character who is a senator who is also playing a character is just it's just really fun to watch and she's doing such a great job of it and i'm so glad that we know that that character lives so that we're not fearing for her over the next yeah, yeah. uh the next season of the show um the chant stuff is so weird and so creepy um, but I'm all for cult stuff in Star Wars. <laughs> and the fact that, like, Mon Mothma makes a point to be like, I thought all this was over, and, or Vel thought it was over, and Mon's like, no, it's back, and then it's stronger here than it is at home. I'm just like, oh, but, like, like what is it? Like, I want to know more. I'm yeah. interested in knowing more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the fact that Vel has just boosted 80 million credits or whatever it is from the Empire, I'm like, and she clearly has such a close loving relationship with Lita, I would be willing to bet that she would probably dip into some of that if she's got any access to it at all, just to prevent this sort of proposed betrothal for Lita and this, in this other character. Um, But I'll be interesting to see where it goes. It'll be interesting to see what Mon Mothma's role is in the finale. 
especially concerning Lita. I mean, like, how is Lita going to react to this proposition? And how is Mon Mothma going to react to Lita reacting? And how is the real Mon Mothma versus the politician Mon Mothma? It's all just, I'm looking forward to seeing how her story ends up playing out. Yeah, for sure. Mike, your thoughts on the Mon Mothma stuff here in this episode? I mean, it's all fucked up, man. Like, it's like... <laughs> well, I mean, for yeah, because it's like th- introducing the idea that her daughter is down for a prearranged marriage in a way seems like it's like oh well we made this too easy for mon mothma but it doesn't really it just kind of makes it more icky Mm -hmm. like she straight up was like i'm not even going to consider this last week and uh you know the dude was like uh the dude was like that's the first thing you said that was untrue like she's really stuck and she says as much to vel she's like i'm fucked yeah i'm really fucked and there is a way out but it's horrible but the fact that lita is into this whole like all of the uh you know i mean most of what they're saying about being bound and so it sounds very much like in Chandrel, a part of the religion and part of what lita's sort of glommed onto is that women are taking a much more sort of uh, traditional role as a subservient kind of role in a marriage kind of thing and just being open to an arranged marriage makes it like, well, it gives Mon Mothma the opening, but even so, pre-arrange, like doing a prearranged marriage with your daughter to the son of a gangster like yeah. is so just gross uh, that if she does it, it just it it further drives a wedge between her and her daughter. Like, you, you really remember that scene early on in the season where it we did we never really got the full info, but it sounded like Mon Mothma wanted to drive Lita to school or mm. something. Yeah, and yeah. she was like, you only really want to do this so that it looks like you care. And now it's like, oh, the way that she would have to handle this is like, oh, well, I know that this is what you're really into. So I went ahead and did this for you. And like, putting on the mask of like, I did this for a noble reason, but really it's such a dirty, horrible reason. Like it's just, it, it, it just compromises her just as much as it compromises Luthen to sacrifice 31 people. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's the same thing just in a different shade. Uh, so watching her sort of struggle through this and seeing where she comes out on the other end, maybe Vel does come in and save the day in the 11th hour so she doesn't have to do it. But maybe she comes really close and that affects her and that like steals her resolve to never do that again. Like no idea where it's all going to land next week, but watching her sort of struggle through the morality of this decision is really fascinating. Yeah. Agreed. Shannon, your thoughts on, on what we got here from the Mothma story, but also Genevieve O'Reilly's performance. Um, Genevieve O'Reilly, just the, the restrained, um, performance that she is doing is fantastic. I mean, the the uh, uh, it's something Diego Luna does really well as well. It's it's the um, saying a lot with very little, and it's something that uh, you know is not an easy skill. I mean, it is something that some people are just kind of born with, but it's also for folks like me, um, you really have to cultivate because <laughs> the the uh, temptation to go ah here's what I'm feeling is very much there sometimes with really good writing. Like you're like, Oh, I can't wait to play this. And the best way to play some of that really great writing that Tony Gilroy writing is to underplay it as, as best as you can yeah. um, to add another layer because it, it, yeah, it sure does seem like Mon Matha is going to marry her daughter off to Davos golden son. Um, the fact that he is a solve for this particular issue. Yeah. 
but also when push comes to shove with the empire having someone who already operates outside of the law with very deep pockets is a very good resource Hmm. so even though it's like i can i am potentially damning my child to a terrible life but i could be helping out the galaxy it's a really interesting moral position to put mon mothma in and it's something that genevieve o'reilly is playing really well because i mean i definitely had the sense uh as you all did that vel's kind of like you know kind of doing the tabulations in her head like all right four hundred thousand. How much did we steal? We stole this yeah. much. Cassian took this much. How much? How much can can I do? What can I do to bail my my family out of this terrible problem that they find themselves in? It's a really interesting, again, a real a real interesting moral dilemma that is not at least in the uh, in, in what we've seen on screen is not the norm for Star Wars. Yeah, and I think they've done an excellent job of re- removing the easy route with which is right. her reaching out to Luthen going I need 400,000 I'm in a bad situation what can you do right she by having Luthen distracted by all these other things by having her questioning what side he's on what he knows what he doesn't know so she doesn't fully trust him you know she's got questions about him as well because you know as Luthen showed us in this episode he'll throw two tubes under a bus he'll throw anybody under a bus to save his ass or save his plans overall for the greater good and all of that so we see that happening so why would you trust him <laughs> Why would you trust him to tell him these kinds you, of things? And Shannon, you would right. be horrible at running a rebellion. Oh, I'd be really good. Yeah, I'd be really good at leading the, not being the politician. I'd be good at leading it on the ground. You stay out there in the rich areas. I'm going to be handling things on the ground. Um, I'm going to be in the trenches, in the, the mud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, well, at this age, shit. Uh, listen, um, Shannon, but the thing you bring up here makes me think of the greater good as well, because is she going to sacrifice her for the, her daughter for the greater good? What, as Michael brought up earlier, the idea of sacrifice, you know, so is this going to happen? And, you know, at the beginning of this series, I don't know if I would have believed it, but the brutal gritty reality of this series where we've seen these things, these sacrifices being made and some of the really unsavory stuff being spoken about, it's very possible. And that kind of unsettles me a little bit and we'll see how that affects Mon Mothma because I was re-watching some scenes from Rogue One you can tell Genevieve's playing of course how do they know that Andor is coming they don't know but like her portrayal is a much more I don't know it's there's there's stuff that's happened to her and you can tell in her performance and I wonder if they're weaving this back in a kind of retrofit to fit that kind of performance that she had in Rogue One I don't know but I like what's happening here and she's just a star like I don't know how she's not showing up in all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, right? right now. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. Uh, we'll see. Uh, let's move on to the next storyline here real quick. Uh, we're not going to do any break here because that's enough of that. Cyril Karn, um, Cyril's mom has, um, Cyril's mom gets a call, tells him it's uh, for him. As Michael mentioned, the bedhead. Uh, it's Sergeant Mosk. This is so cool. I, I loved, loved, loved this call. As a guy who's old enough to remember when you used to call long distance to another country, this is in essence what you're seeing is an old school long distance call from like the 1980s or 1990s where you're only picking up a few words. You're hoping you're getting the intention across. Uh, stuff's getting in the way and, and you're dropping the call, picking the call back up. It's madness. But we hear uh, that if a mosque is working there and some uh, work in the night shift at some kind of smelting factory or whatever. Uh, and um, he uh, tells him that he has found this out, this information from some people who are still who are working there, still part of still connected to what's going on in Ferrix, that Marva has died. 
and that uh, they think uh, that Cassian is going back. Um, and so Cyril gets at least a piece of that information and of her mom, his mom says something snarky at the end there. Um, later we cut to his mom leaving the apartment. He is all dressed up like he was when he went to go, go when he goes to work, he is waiting for her to pass by sneaks back into his apartment. Is that his uh, private box that he's opening or his safe or whatever, takes some stuff out and then sneaks on out. So Michael, (laughs) my man, what do you think about all this with Cyril? Uh, or you know, what's happening with him in this episode. I just, between his mom's bedhead and uh, what's-his-face from the Batman on that call, <laughs> like, how they made this, like, the most comedic scene in the episode. Oh, so like, good. he's like, oh, it's smelting, hold on, yep, that, that's it, yep, it's the mom, but that, but that, but, like, the guy is such, he is, he is every right-wing moron on Twitter embodied in one Star Wars character in a way that is so ridiculous and humorous to me. Um, But yeah, I mean, they did just such a great job. I'm really curious, like, I'm so curious about the Cyril Deidre of it all because obviously, you know, Deidre is very invested in what's happening at this funeral. Cyril is headed to the funeral. And is this going to be the moment that Cyril fucks things up so bad that Deidre's like, yeah, I'm done with you? Or does Cyril actually have a moment where he does something that is bad for Cassian, but actually really good? And Deidre's like, all right, fuck, I guess I got to like, and I guess I got to put up with my stalker. Like, I don't know. Like, like how this is going to land, I'm just super fascinated by because like, I think I said when they did it, like the Cyril as Deidre's stalker bit like did not see that coming, not on my and or bingo card. And so how that wraps up into all the other stuff that they're weaving together, completely fascinated by. Yeah. What is it? What what would be their name together? Right? Deidre. Deidre. <laughs> there you go. Carnero. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Kelly. I like both of those actually. <laughs> It's not as good as Raylo. Raylo's good. Um, what are your thoughts on this, uh, on what we're getting from Cyril here in this episode and uh, his mom's bedhead? For God's sake. I hate Cyril Karn. I still hate him. And I, to the point where I like basically didn't take any notes on this section of the episode. <laughs> I don't want to see that fucker's face on the screen again, unless Deidre's with him. Ooh. I want more of them together. Like I just want to together? see that. I don't care. I okay, just want okay. to see it play out and see where it leads. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Should I say it? I'll ship it. I'll, I ship. I'll ship the two of them. Yeah, I ship the two. I'm gonna be loud and proud about it. I'm, I do ship them because I thought that their one scene together was awesome, and I just want to see more of whatever the hell that was. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way she would fall in love. I feel like not the stalker aspect of it all, but. He is so overt about it. Uh, you know, I don't know. She might, it might wear her down I mean, a little bit. Know, I'm guys... not saying it's not an overall judgment on this is how you should do this for this situation between these two people who are clearly evil and have shit. They need to work out uh, that it would take an army of therapists to figure out this, them coming together makes sense. Right. Uh, so what are you gonna say, Mike? Cyril no. knows what Cyril knows what Luthen looks like, right? Or at least his voice. Like, he basically says to her when he's in ISB that he would be able to identify Luthen's voice. Good call. That could come and giving Deidre access 
that's like the best Valentine's Day present he could give her. <laughs> like it, like it, it really. Uh, now you guys, like everything you guys were saying about Luthen's not gonna make it, Luthen's not gonna make it, and I was like, oh god, like even worse, even worse than Luthen not making it, particularly because we know that there's a time jump into season two, would be Cyril getting the girl by giving her access. And then we cut forward to however many years later, and Luthen is still alive but being tortured by ISB. Like, I, like this oh. could go down real, real dark, you guys. Well, they both have – they each take a side of the thing, of the helmet as they slide it onto. Oh, it could be very uh, – just unsettling. Shannon, your thoughts on the whole thing with Cyril. And please, uh, regale us with your thoughts on, her, on uh, his mom's bedhead. Well, I mean, the moment that Cyril's mom pops up, I don't know how many of our audience watched Arrested Development, but I'm like, oh, this is Jessica <laughs> Lucas right now. This is Lucille Bluth with a gangy. I mean, with after the chemical peel, like, uh, I mean, I hollered this morning at seven as I was watching this over my over my protein cereal. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so so funny. And then as Cyril is trying to talk to Sergeant Moss and she's in the background. She's, she is one heartbeat away from getting on the other line to listen. Oh, no, and you, totally. see, him, and you totally. see him kind of waving her off. The unintentional humor of this scene is so fantastic. Uh, this is the type of thing. I mean, again, I love that this is a series and we, and this is like, oh. you know, this is what I get to watch. This, this is my Wednesday morning cartoon, essentially. Um, like, but, but to watch this in a theater with mm-hmm. a crowd of people, I feel like this scene would have torn the roof off the place because it was just so, so funny. Yeah. And then, I mean, that was not his special box. That was his mom's jewelry drawer. Okay. Right. He's going into his mommy's jewelry wow. drawer to get, to get cash. So, wow. I mean, and, and I think that line's perfectly up with his character that yeah. he waits for mom to leave to go to go run her errands and then he's going to go into her hope chest and and take out the cash he needs to get to to go on this trip um it's so funny how much laura hates cyril um this is the character i would have wanted to have played i'm like i think this guy is fascinating <laughs> he's just i mean i mean again i under i fully acknowledge what a weasel this guy is but i think it would have been so fun to play and uh yeah that he i think he's doing a great job yeah, he's got to have a significant part of the finale. I, they've kind of sidelined him after after yeah. you know making such a big deal to to establish him in the first three episodes. It would be weird if he doesn't in some way play a big part in that finale. For sure. I mean, there's one of two fates: he ends up in in an imperial uniform, or he's under the ground. Yeah, fair. Well, there's thir- an imperial marriage is possible as well. I, mean, this is the- I really he. I, this is really it stresses me out now because we know that. Cassian is gonna be Cassian. He's gonna right. be a part of the rebellion and do what he does. But Luthen, I got a bad feeling about this. Yeah. Yeah, good point. And for those of you who don't know, don't watch Arrested Development. Uh, uh, this is what um, Shannon was referencing. So- <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible bedhead. Sure. <laughs> oh my God. In <laughs> You don't want to have that in life. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, let's uh, real quick before we wrap up, let's get into predictions. Um, Mike, I start with you first. What do you think is going to happen? Any final words on this episode? Um, you know, like I said, like I mean, this 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 has been such a fun ride for Star Wars. I mean, 
I love The Mandalorian. I love both seasons of The Mandalorian. Uh, Boba Fett, very hit or miss. <laughs> mm. Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, some real high highs and some questionable moments. You know, not, not a perfect ride altogether. And Andor has just been such a wonderfully subtle and powerful and interesting ride that is so different for star wars uh but but feels like it fits right in in so many ways and i just love how it's expanded the universe as for next week uh yeah ferrix is mad as hell and can't take it anymore <laughs> i think um and i i i think i i feel like and i don't know for sure but i feel like we're gonna get a ferrix uprising around marva's funeral and we're also going to wrap up this anton krieger storyline in whatever way we do and because we know that there's a time jump i think it's we're going to see cassian take his first steps into like finally being a part of the rebellion maybe because of luthan's death as well as his mom's death we're going to see Cyril do something again, like I said, maybe surrounding Luthen, maybe something else that's going to drive him into it. And so I think we're going to kind of catch up with a lot of these characters years later and see where the events of what happened on Ferrix or with Krieger's uh, kind of issue over there propel them into higher levels of the re- both the Rebellion and the Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay. Laura Kelly, uh, final thoughts on this episode and what you think we might see next week? Um, not a whole lot else to say on this episode. I mean, I did not as good, I think, as 10, but I'm overall been very satisfied with the latter half of the season of this show so far. Obviously, the first half didn't do a whole lot for me. So I'm glad that it's on the up and up for me. Um, predictions. Will we finally see Mon Mothma and Cassian's stories link up? They're kind of the last holdout, the last storyline that hasn't like crossed over yet. I'm thinking no, because I don't know how they'd have time for it or, but who knows um we were told that k2so is not going to appear in season one but like what if it was a surprise what if he did what Mm -hmm. if it was just like a little or a little hint of him or something i don't know um or some other cool cameo we haven't seen bail organa yet in this show which is a little bit surprising um in terms of who is not going to survive i agree luthan is a likely candidate um, I think Bix or Brasso, this whole oh, season has sort of right. been about radicalizing Cassian. Yeah. And now his mother is dead. He's been through this whole prison ordeal. And one of those two during this uprising going out, especially if they go out like saving him, that's going to push him over the edge. Um, and then this is, I don't think this is actually going to happen, but like, what if, what if Cyril Karn dies and I never have to see his stupid face ever again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But in all seriousness, the empire does not care about its little worker bees and everybody, if if he dies, then it's going to be obvious to Deidre that the empire does not care about their worker bees. Interesting. It might affect her more than she would have thought. Damn, Laura. Damn, Laura. That is good. Just an idea. That's a great idea. Uh, Shannon, your uh, final thoughts on this episode and what you think is happening next week. God bless. That's great. 
I mean, I love the fact that Disney is releasing some episodes on ABC, FX, oh, yeah. Hulu, and Freeform. Yeah. Um, they, they know that they have a terrific show that is just that just doesn't have enough eyeballs on it right now. They're releasing the first two episodes. I really wish they would release the first three because I feel like yeah. that that first that first arc is really what you need to get you to get you into the show. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Luthen is long for this world. I think that that angry imperial officer that he he shredded his uh, his uh, sonar dish. I, I think he's coming. He there there's a reckoning a coming. Um, yeah, and I think much to Laura's dismay, I think Cyril makes it. Uh, but but we'll see. Yeah. Um, I've got Vel or Cinta, one of them going out next week. I don't know which one. Mm-hmm. Um Cinta, I, I, Cinta's gonna cut your throat just for saying that. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you know, I just have a feeling because Vel's been kind of, you know, unstate not unstate. What's the word I'm looking for? She's just been uh, She's felt unmoored a little bit because she has such a love for Cinta, but Cinta isn't returning the love in the same level that Vel has. But Vel's got a, a, a different dedication to the rebellion at this point than Mon Mothma has. So there's an inconsistency going around, and I don't know where she's going to land. So I think that makes it a possible candidate that she goes out, maybe even trying to save Cinta. She goes out because she loves her so much, and you know we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Laura's got, man, it's got me all messed up in my head now thinking that's a possibility because I'd love to cheer for Deidre. I'd love See, to feel. And now we're going to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. This is the danger in making predictions. So true, I don't know. You just got to let it go. Yeah, I'm not I also just love, I also just love the timing of this all that like, usually like I watch Andor on Wednesday morning and then I have to like dive into work and I have yeah. to get stuff done. I have to do writing I have to plan your stuff. I love that this is like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I feel like I'm watching Andor. I'm yeah. gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that was amazing!" And now I do nothing for the entire like. I'm like, Thanksgiving. <laughs> let's eat the turkey. It's good timing. Good timing, Star Wars. Well, we might have a review of just throwing it out there, but yes, well, no, that, yes, that will happen. But spending time with you guys is what I'm thankful for. Yeah, it's for the greater good. Um, I, I do. I, yeah, I don't think Luthen is getting out of here either. Um. Is there anyone else? Oh, and I, it may be Lyda and um, Perrin. There's a possibility with whatever they're setting up, maybe that's them dying because without them attached to Mon Mothma, we can see her progression in the second season much more freely uh, without the constraints. And that may be what kind of changes her opinion about how harder, how much harder she needs to be a part of the rebellion and really needs to take it over. I don't know. So just she, she, don't, she don't. She don't. She don't care. She don't care about that guy. We'll say your daughter. Oh, daughter. <laughs> but if something think- happens, if something yeah. happens to B two, oh no, no, no. It's, it's I'm gonna flip a table. That's true. I'll flip a Thanksgiving table. <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> what's the other one that I wanted? To- oh Jesus! I just forgot it because Michael threw it in there. I'm old. I forget things. Uh, anyway, all right. Any, anybody else that we didn't talk about? No. All right. Fine. <laughs> No, it's not coming to me. Oh, no, I, I think Dabble Skaldin, uh, I don't think you renege on a deal with Ga- Dabble Skaldin. If this turns around, mm. that could be an interesting situation with my Mothma to deal with next season. Uh, and I don't think you cast Richard Delane, who is, by the way, the brother of Stephen Delane, uh, bears, uh, Stans Baratheon. You don't cast him and not use him more going forward. Right. So I just have a feeling there's more to come from that in that situation. So, all right, well, there you go. That's our spoiler review for episode 11 of Andor. Thank you all so much for joining us. We appreciate whether you're listening on the podcast or watching us on the Outlaw Nation channel. We appreciate it madly. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? 
Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, it's Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK2. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey? Um, if you think sacrificing 31 rebels is an act of war or just for the greater good, we welcome all opinions here and we want to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, and here's what you guys can do to help us keep doing what we do. Definitely hit the like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, check out all the content, leave your comments below. What did you think of this episode? What are your predictions for the finale? What are your predictions for season two? Where do you want to see Cassie and Andor go next? If you are listening to us on the podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars, leave us some comments, helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, send it to your friends, post it on your socials, and tell them all to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. And of course, big shout out to Laura Kelly, who has joined us and back to hang out with the two episodes for the finale. Laura, please tell people where they can find you and everything that's going on. Sure, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at shutup underscore Laura. I am lucky enough to join the Geek Buddies for a lot of Star Wars discussions, so you can find me on on their channel here and there. And uh, this week, John and I did a review of the first half of The Crown, season five. (laughs) The Netflix series has a new cast, and we are loving it. And so you can also find me and John talking about Star Wars right here on his channel on The Jedi Way. And uh, you can find my podcast, Force Toast, A Star Wars Happy Hour, on all major podcast platforms. Absolutely. And of course, big shout out uh, to we will be doing episodes six through 10 at some point this week, hopefully uh, uh, to wrap up our uh, review of the crown. But we are loving it. Definitely. Y'all should watch that season for sure. And please watch our review, which hasn't even broken a thousand. So come on, people watch the review. It's good. Uh, and big shout out to CarbonHealth.com, uh, who powers and sponsors us here on uh, the Geek Buddies. Head on over there. If any of your healthcare questions, concerns or needs or download the app to have a doc in your pop. But when you have those concerns, on the go whether you're in ferrix or in the spellhouse station you're going to need it all right take care of yourselves be well and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode here from the geek buddies and laura kelly Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.